the best product. I've been involved in the Patagonia field testing program for a little over 20 years right now. For silent sports done in nature. That's the feeling. That's the feeling that I fell in love with with climbing. Cause no unnecessary harm. Of organic cotton and recycled polyester to recycling the clothing to measuring our carbon footprint. Inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. To give some love back to this river that doesn't have any. It's not getting any love. See what drives us at Patagonia.com. Welcome to the Dirtbag Diaries, a duct tape and beer production. With additional support from Kuat Racks and New Belgium Brewing. Today we're going to start with a fact. One you might have heard briefly kicked around in the newspapers and nightly news in the last few months. But before we go any further, I need to say that today's episode contains unsettling adult topics and graphic descriptions of violence. Here we go. Every 18 hours an active duty troop, reservist, or National Guard member commits suicide. In 2012, more soldiers killed themselves than lost their lives on the battlefield. And if you look at veterans, that number goes through the roof. It's even hard to read out loud. As of May 2013, every 65 minutes a veteran takes his or her own life. Almost one an hour. And frankly, it's fucking awful. And frankly, we should care more about this. In addition to physical disabilities, post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injuries, our service members come home to a mountain of issues we don't talk about as much, either as a country, as a whole, or in our outdoor community. And yet, these veterans, Armed Forces members, they are very much a part of our community. Here's veteran Stacy Bear, who served in Iraq. You know, the VA says, yep, you've got post-traumatic stress. Yep, you've got a traumatic brain injury. Yep, your shoulder's screwed up. Yep, your feet are screwed up. And then they say, and none of that is because of the Army. There are tremendous people who work at the VA, amazing people who day in and day out work their tails off to better provide for this country's veterans. They're just absolutely overwhelmed. But the VA for me will always be me getting stuck in between two sliding glass doors in Philadelphia, so afraid to go in, seeing all these old broken down veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, my generation, and the whole place smells like piss and death. And I couldn't go in and I was stuck for like 10 minutes just in the sliding doors as they opened back and forth, opened back and forth, opened back and forth, frozen in this moment in time. Even if you do have a good VA experience, when you step outside the door of one of those little kind of veteran islands, those little safe spots, you're back in, into this world that just does not seem to care, understand, or want to care, or really understand. This return home can be a bit like driving off of a cliff. Here's Nick Watson, who served in the first Iraq war. It's like someone turned the faucet off. You served and you served and you served, and all you thought about was, I just got to get back home, I just got to make it safe back home. And then when you get home, there's this overriding feeling of, holy shit, what do I do now? There's no camaraderie. Nobody has your back. There's nothing available. There's no job. There's no, there's no nothing. There's folks that want to take advantage of them left, right, and center. But there's nobody saying, here, here, this is what worked for me. I really struggled when I got out. So why don't you give a shot? You know, it's free. Here at the Dirtbag Diaries, we have a loyal listener base from our armed forces, people currently deployed and those that have finished their services. 
I love the emails we get from this part of our community. I love that this show can be a little lifeline to the mountains. But I often find myself asking and wondering, are the mountains enough? When our men and women return from war, can they find peace and happiness in vertical pursuits? Today, contributing writer Jen Altschul brings us an incredible story of two friends, Stacey Bear and Nick Watson, both climbers and both veterans, each from different wars, brought together by a shared passion, who set out to do their best to solve this problem facing not only our community, but our country. Can the mountains save us from ourselves? Probably not, but community can. Friendship can. I'm Fitzko Hall. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Here's Stacy. I came from a military family. I was super excited to join the military. My granddad had been in the Navy. My brother was in the Army before me, and he had already commissioned as a lieutenant. I think since I was nine or 10 years old, I knew that's what I wanted to do was, was be in the military. If I was going to be a doctor, it was going to be in the Army. He joined the Army before he even graduated high school. He was 17 young enough that his dad had to sign his enlistment paperwork for the Fighting Mississippians ROTC program. That was 1996. In 2000, he received his commission as a military intelligence officer. He spent the next four years stationed in Germany, and then, in 2004, he deployed to Bosnia and spent the next six months in Sarajevo. In July 2004, he got out of the military and spent a little over a year clearing minefields for a British nonprofit called Halo Trust in Angola and then in Abkhazia. He was working in Abkhazia when the army tracked him down through an old Yahoo email address and recalled him. In December 2006, he deployed to Iraq with the 412th Civil Affairs out of Whitehall, Ohio. In the spring of 2007, Stacy found himself on a curbside in Hartford, Connecticut, waiting for his brother to pick him up. And then it hit him. For almost a decade, his goal had been just to make it home safe. And here he was, home, out of the army, but he realized that maybe the hard part wasn't over yet. I'm standing there in my uniform on a curbside in May in Hartford, Connecticut, and there's nobody around. And two weeks prior, I was in the last IED attack that I had been a participant in. And I was in the back of a Humvee and I was driving around and I was doing what made sense to me and I knew exactly what I was doing and I knew what I was going to do the next day. And all of a sudden that's taken away from you. You know, I, I don't think it had really sunk in yet. The people that I had lost and the people that I knew had, had died. It hadn't really sunk in that I would never see those people again. It was feeling like I shouldn't be there because I should be in Iraq. It was guilt. It continues to be guilt. It continues to be, from time to time, isolation, not knowing what's going to happen in the future, wondering when the next phone call is going to come that says somebody died, somebody was killed, somebody committed suicide. It was wondering whether or not the war was worth it. It was continuing to question my belief in a higher power. It was you know, at the time, thirsting for that first drink and that release. It was wondering if I was going to find love. It was wondering if 
I would be the same. It was wondering if I was going to end up homeless. It was wondering if I was going to be able to find a job. And it was just trying to be present. It was just trying to breathe and, and be happy for, for where I was and that I had been, was alive. It was wondering when I was going to go back to Iraq. That August, Stacy moved to Philadelphia to start graduate school. And I went to graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania for urban design and figured that I would punch my ticket to the middle class and uh, move on with my life that way. He kept his hair short and his face clean-shaven, and he still got up for morning runs. But those were the only visible signs that he had just gotten out of the military. He didn't have any visible scars. He felt like he was fading back into society. I would run by these homeless guys, and I think the second day that I ran past them, these guys stopped me, and they were like, hey, you just came home from Iraq. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, we can tell. Like, you just came home from Iraq or Afghanistan. You're a veteran. And I was like, how do you know? You know, I was really freaked out. And they're like, well, we're, we're both Vietnam vets. Like, we can tell. We can tell when people just come home. And that's what I now kind of refer to as the post-traumatic stench. There's very little visible in this country that we had to go to war. There's a Lee Greenwood song, it's seventh inning of most baseball games, and maybe you highlight a few wounded troops or wounded warriors in the area. There's a couple billboards here and there, but by and large, and especially when we were actually in the war, you know, and I left while the surge was still happening in Iraq, and you'd come home and there, there's no visible recognition that this is a nation at war. We never had to sacrifice for that. And coming home to see that and coming home and people not understanding the name of major events that happened to you, major operations that the United States was involved in, the second battle of Fallujah, the first battle of Fallujah, the battle at Ramallah, Operation Anaconda, uh, Ramallah, excuse me. And Americans are like, what's that? You know, I heard a congressman say the other day that Saddam Hussein was behind 9-11. I mean, you've got to be fucking kidding me. My cab drivers knew what was going on in this country because a number of cab drivers in this country tend to be recent immigrants. They knew. But even close friends of mine from back home didn't know. And I remember being down in New York City and people knew I had just come home and I met a buddy of mine who I'm still really close with who's a Marine. And we went out and I don't think I paid for a single drink that night. You know, people, people picked up the tab without telling us, you know, so there's, there's that appreciation, but it was really weird. And I, it sometimes feels like our country is going, here's your two shekels. We're saying, thank you. Now get the fuck out of my face. As Stacy transitioned back to civilian life, he seemed to be checking off the boxes for being well-adjusted. He did well in school, earned a master's degree, found a job working for a nonprofit. He didn't look like a statistic, but under the surface, he was falling apart. He drank too much. He developed a habit with cocaine. He struggled with thoughts of suicide. He pushed his friends and family away. According to Nick Watson, Stacy didn't look much different from a lot of returning veterans. What I see from our vets are two kind of polar opposites of how it manifests itself. And what I see is veterans who isolate and have a hard time in social situations, 
and they're struggling and they're struggling and they're struggling by themselves. I think suicide is a huge risk factor for this population. And then you have another whole population that's in the middle that's kind of figuring it out. They're doing okay. They're not super high functioning, but they're not down in the isolating level. So that's a huge majority maybe of veterans. And then you have the other percent. And the other percent is folks that do more in a week, they do more in one day than anybody that you've ever even known in your life. These folks are running companies. They're working out. They're doing an intense amount of stuff. And the problem is, is that doesn't last. That can't last forever. Sooner or later, something happens. It's a trigger. You lose your job. Something in your life happens. That all comes spiraling down. And Stacy's life was spiraling down. But before he became another number lost in the VA statistics, something happened. I started climbing in the late fall of 2009. My first climb was the first flat iron in Boulder, Colorado. My buddy Chuck Berman, who I served with in Iraq, and I had been talking for several months about me being suicidal and, and me wanting to go back into the army and, and me struggling. And pretty much every time that I would talk about that, he would say, you know, I'm suicidal too. Let's go climb. Finally, I went and climbed. It was an aha moment. And the aha moment was sitting at the top of the rappel station, realizing I hadn't thought about anything related to the military or anything related to my trauma or anything related to depression for a really long time. All day, I'd just been living in the moment. Climbing's the realest thing that I've done since coming home, you know, and, and it took me out of, out of my head and it put me in this really intense moment. And the other climbers that I was meeting just kind of got it because there's an understanding of what it is to push yourself to the absolute edge and at times push yourself over that edge and then still come back. And there's that same feeling of it's hard to come back to it after a really good climbing trip because you just want to be climbing. You just, you want to feel that intensity of experience. You want to feel that intensity of camaraderie. And um, that's ultimately what helped pull me out of it. Nick Watson joined the military when he turned 18 and served with the Charlie Company 3rd Ranger Battalion from 91 to 95. There were things that Nick loved about Ranger Battalion. He got to see the world. He and his Ranger buddies made things happen. And while Nick had already found the outdoors when he joined the military, the training he got in the Army Rangers gave him the confidence that he could survive outdoors in any condition. But one moment changed the way Nick felt about the military. My, my culminating military story and, and why I'm sitting here having this conversation with you now is after numerous deployments and after a lot of stress, we started to see it on a lot of folks and folks were stressed and folks were strained and I got to see you know what that looks like and I got to see how hard it was for folks and two of my you know, my good ranger buddies committed suicide. Well, I don't even like that phrasing, but they killed themselves in the barracks. And, and these are guys that that I would say that I grew up with. They helped me. I helped them. They couldn't swim so well, and I couldn't run in formation. And we helped each other. And they were they were my buddies. They helped me see 
things that I didn't know, and, and I did the same for them. And we are years later, after the wear and tear of being in Ranger Battalion for several years, weighs down on folks, it wears you down. And folks are abusing recreational drugs, folks are taking steroids because they're not physically capable of continuing the mission. And I saw it, and I knew that I was in a bad way, and I knew that some of my Ranger buddies were in a bad way, but I never saw the suicide coming. I never understood it. I was there, you know, seconds after they shot themselves. It was a joint suicide. One shot the other, then shot himself. I tried to save them, so didn't all the other Rangers that were there. Um, we shouldn't have. They were dead, essentially, when we got there. And... For me, it's always been, it's always been like the moment. I was young. I was okay with just about everything. I, I grew up in this environment. This is how I spent my years, 18, 19, 20, 21. I was okay with a lot of it. But this was the one thing that I wasn't, wasn't okay. It wasn't good with me. I didn't settle with me. It was just ugly. You know, that, that incident molded me. It was definitely the one that, you know, I had about a year, maybe almost a year and a half left. And for sure after that, I was, I was getting out. The summer after Nick got out of the military, he took a job with a family friend on an oil drilling rig. He was planning to go to school in Vermont the following fall. The Army would pay for his education, but he wanted to save up extra cash. It looked like his life was settling down. The story gets even harder. <laughs> Less than six months after me getting out of the military, I was on a well-drilling rig that had a major accident. And the result for me was being really, really hurt. I got my hand crushed. I got my shoulder broken and separated, and I got my hip severely broken and crushed as well. And so here I am, I had all these intense experiences and I did all of that stuff in the Army Rangers without ever getting hurt. I saw people in all kinds of different situations of being messed up, blown up, screwed up, but it was never me. And here I am in the hospital six months after and I can't walk. The doc's telling me that my outdoor life is over and I, my, my hand was so crushed, I lost the fingers on my right hand, and I was beat up. The only way Nick knew how to deal with the trauma was to keep speeding up. I couldn't have been more driven. I would go to physical therapy and occupational therapy to get better from my injuries. After that, I would spend four hours in the gym. I would pop pain pills on a massive level, and I would sleep the entire next day, and I would get up and I would do it again. After that year of rehab, Nick moved to Vermont and went to school as he had planned. He graduated from the Recreation Management Program and headed west. He got a job working for the National Park Service during the summers and led wilderness therapy trips during the winters. And when he wasn't working either of those jobs, he worked as an alpine guide. And I would travel from place to place to place where nobody knew me, and I would move on in six months. So I had this superficial life for years to where I got to spend time outdoors. I got to do a lot of things. I didn't really have to check in with people, you know, on a regular basis. I was just this person that came in and left. I jumped into the outdoors 
and I got away from the military. I didn't admit that I was a veteran. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't put in on job applications. I didn't. I didn't do anything. When I finally did, and have time to slow down and have time with myself, that's when I realized, you know, how uncomfortable it was. Like Stacy, from the outside, Nick looked like he was doing well. He was a great employee. He took job opportunities when they came up. He stayed fit. He got outside. Working with teens in wilderness therapy, he saw incredible transformations week after week. But it was 10 years before Nick allowed himself to be alone with his thoughts for long enough to realize how awful he still felt and to realize that he wanted to see that same transformation in himself. I think I have what a lot of vets have, and that is I'm a really intense observer. I absorb my surroundings. I absorb what I see, and that's what I was doing. I was absorbing it, and, you know, then came a day of realizing, oh, geez, I've got all this stuff that I need to deal with and I need to work on, and it's time that I did because it's hurting me. Nick was skeptical about the whole idea of therapy, but over time, one therapist started to change the way he thought. She was definitely older and wiser, and and she would just say things to me, almost matter-of-factly. She said, have you ever thought of, and she would just leave me with these tidbits. One day, we were sitting there, and she said, you know, your experiences are just that. They're just your experiences. They have nothing to do with who you are. You're the same person that was born here from the day that you were born. Your soul is the same. It's unchanged, and how you process those experiences are up to you. Here I am. I'm a sergeant in the military. I'm a hard charger. I'm a basic kind of guy. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a fancy pants. But all the time, I thought I am my experience because my experiences had been so intense at times. And I really held on to that. And, you know, a simple thing like that, when she said that to me, I was just like, I was let off the hook. It brought me back. It brought me back to being a part of society and having real conversations and real relationships and, you know, being a functioning member of, of a community again, which I wasn't for a long time. And that's when I met Stacey Bear and, you know, everything had kind of come full circle for me where I was okay with everything. You know, I had, I was ready to, uh, to talk with vets and hang out with vets and help folks from what I had learned. Stacey and Nick's meeting took some good old right place, right time luck. In 2010, Stacey was working as the Director of Operations for Veterans Green Jobs, a nonprofit out of Denver, Colorado. One day, a sponsor handed him a $25,000 check. The idea was that he would use the money to organize a trip that got veterans outside. But Stacey had just started climbing. He had a lot of ties in the veteran world and in the nonprofit world, but he wasn't ready to run a trip on his own. At that time, Nick was a student in a training program put on by Veterans Green Jobs, looking for side work while he tried to launch his own guiding business. A mutual friend introduced the two of them. I walked in his office, I met him, and he he handed me the budget for the trip right away. 
Malcolm and I reworked five more trips into the budget. So we didn't just do one trip, we did five trips. On September 11, 2010, Stacy and Nick summited Long's Peak with a group of eight other veterans. They saw something incredible on that first trip and knew they had to find a way to keep making trips like it happen. Veterans Expeditions was born. So I've been leading folks outside for 20 years when we did this, and it really struck me that I hadn't seen on any of my civilian led trips this type of unity, this type of selfless action to where the folks that got down the mountain first retooled on water, retooled on food, and hiked back up the mountain to a lot of the folks that were having some issues or slower or, you know, disabled. You know, in the civilian world, it'd be a race to the top, right? It'd be this race to the top where you'd step over people to get there. And then in our world, it was, let's hold back, let's wait till everyone gets here, and we're going to sum it together. And again, I, I've never seen, never seen that before. And on that first trip, there was there was folks that quit smoking. There was folks that lost weight. There was folks that adjusted their lives for the trip and then took that back home. And then what I realized was, oh my God, this is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. This is this is real. And there was no money. There was no there was no nothing coming in, but we were doing it. And actually, Stacy and I are digging into our own pockets to cover some of the expenses. You know, even though it wasn't paying our bills, it was kind of like the best thing we had ever done and really set down a foundation for us wanting to duplicate what we just did over and over and over again. And, and that's that's really where Veterans Expeditions was born. It was born pretty much by accident. A group from Veterans Expeditions climbed the Grand Teton on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Another summited Rainier to commemorate the life of Marine and Climbing Ranger Nick Hall in June of 2012. They've been climbing with Conrad Anchor in Highlight Canyon, and they've organized dozens of smaller trips, from mountain biking or day hiking to snowshoeing to a lake. The diversity of veterans they take out reflects the diversity of military service members. They have Vietnam vets, vets from Iraq and Afghanistan, disabled vets, vets with post-traumatic stress or with traumatic brain injury, and they pull them together to work toward a common goal. In just over two years, They've given over 200 veterans an opportunity to get outside. This year, with a budget of $40,000, they hope to get 300 veterans into the outdoors. And they want to do more. We need more support. We need more help because we know that the reach and the scope of veterans who need our services is massive. I could fill as many trips as I could come up with right now. I'm getting 50 to 100 emails a day of new veterans, of folks that hear about us, of folks that want to come out with us, of folks that know people that have come out with us, or they read a story, or you know they want to get involved. So much is going on right now, and we're just trying to harness it and to make sure that everyone gets a chance. Part of the reason Nick and Stacy are so committed to finding a way to keep veterans' expeditions alive is the lack of obvious places to go for help when they got out of the military. There was the VA and a handful of similar organizations, like the VFW, the American Legion, the IAVA, or like the Sierra Club, partnering with Outward Bound to offer trips for veterans. But none of the options felt like real, long-term solutions to the issues the two of them and their fellow veterans faced coming home. Man, life becomes very boring to someone that just has led this intense, intense life, and then they get out. And the intensity's gone. 
the mountain or the top of the ice climb or whatever. It's just a gimmick. It's just a gimmick to get folks, in this case veterans, to work together for a common goal and then really feel what that's like again. Another big thing is that veterans feel comfortable with the space. They're in a group of veterans. It's time to talk about stuff that they haven't been talking about to anybody else, any place, any time. So really just basic stuff of, hey, do you ever miss it? You know, do you ever miss it? Because I'm afraid to say this in my civilian life, but I miss it. I miss the excitement of it. I miss it. I miss shooting my gun. I miss blowing stuff up. I, I miss the excitement of, you know, maybe somebody um, shooting at me. I miss it. It's a very hard thing to say and have non-military folks understand. You miss it? You miss what? But in the group of vets, we can, we can understand it and say, yeah, you know, you just, it's okay to understand what you miss. And then now it's time to find something in the civilian life that will fuel that fire. For me, and I think for a lot of veterans, it's about building a genuine community and ultimately making sure that that community intersects with non-veterans. And so we are always trying to be really intentional to make sure that we have a few non-veterans, generally as guides, because it's like, if I can trust you belaying me and you're not a veteran, how that transfers then into the real world, which is if I'm getting a lot of anxiety, which I still sometimes do, like on a subway or in a really crowded room, I take a deep breath and I remind myself that somewhere in the crowd, there are most likely a couple of veterans and a couple of climbers. And I don't know who they are, but I know they're there. And that makes me feel good. You know, I'm like, somebody out here understands what I'm going through right now. I can't point them out, but I bet if I yelled, somebody who's a climber or a veteran, please raise your hand. I need to talk to you immediately. A couple people would probably raise their hand. Basically, all that I had learned and all that I experienced all those years came full circle when Stacy and I started Veterans Expeditions because then I was allowed to, to really use what I had learned. The outcrying of support, the things that happen on these trips is just nothing short of the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm really happy to, to be here. Connecting with Nick was one of those moments of serendipity in life. I don't know if I could have found or, or kind of picked somebody better to start this project with. The project ends up being a reflection of our friendship, and as our friendship grows and evolves, so does the project. Um, it's one of those things that when you, when you see somebody on the mountaintop, the challenge is, is that I see 100 people on that mountaintop that I wish I could have brought up with me. They're guys that got killed in war. They're guys that committed suicide when they came home. They're guys that won't get off their couch. There's girls that don't feel comfortable around the brothers they serve with because of sexual assault. And so I also feel, I think, a real deep sense of humility that I'm lucky enough to be out there and that I'm lucky enough to be with those folks who had the opportunity to show up, that took the time to be there. So it's a lot of mixed emotions. Certainly, I feel pride, but I also feel deep humility and, and anger and, and frustration um, kind of all at the same time just because I want I want more people to have that experience. I want more people to be able to get outside and see what it is in a very real sense, especially in this country, uh, what it is they fought for. 
which is Mount Adams, Mount Sneffels, the Grand Teton, Long's Peak. Those are, you know, to me, the great physical representation of our, of our democracy. Many thanks to Jen Elchel for not only saying yes to tackling the story, but for crafting an amazing story of two friends. And special thanks to Nick Watson and Stacey Bear for taking the time to tell their story. Music today by DJ Skyblast Aluminum Forest, Ken Christensen, Caribou, Moondog Matinee, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, and Menomenon. You can find links to the artists on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Support for the diaries comes from you. Big thanks to everyone who has pledged their support. It is because of you that stories like this are possible, that we can commit the hours, the long hours that it takes to create this kind of thing. Want to take the plunge? Click on the pledge button on our website. The Diaries would not be possible without the support from the good people at Patagonia. Their Common Waters campaign is about balancing human water use with the rest of the planet. They turn an eye on their business practices and are committed to reducing their water pollution from textiles. Learn more at patagonia.com. With aluminum construction and sleek design, Kuat Racks is designing bike racks with you, their fellow riders, in mind. You can see their full lineup at kuatracks.com. Ours is getting a lot of use this summer in the incredibly awesome weather we are having. Sweet. Support for the show also comes from New Belgium Brewing, who encourages you to follow your folly. We're taking a little break in August, as always, but we'll be back in September with more stories. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>